Our scripture today is from Psalm chapter 37, uh, verses 1 through 11. It's supposed to be 1 through 11 and then 39 and 40, but I've only got about 20 minutes, so we're just going to skip to the first, we're just going to do the first 11. Hopefully that's okay with someone. There's pastor chat tomorrow if you want to know about the last two verses. Um, Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. It's a psalm of David. It says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be anxious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. When people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord, or whose hope is in the Lord, will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land, and enjoy peace and prosperity. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and together we say, thanks be to God. This passage is part of a section of Psalms which is known as kind of the ancient Hebrew wisdom literature. And the goal of this ancient wisdom literature is first to communicate kind of the collected wisdom that has been um, brought together over generations and generations of people who have desired to serve God. So that's the first one. The second goal is to invite the current generation to learn and to apply this wisdom that they're trying to communicate. The wisdom literature has been handed down and they considered it to be really, really important. So what they would do is they would try to figure out ways to make it even more memorable. So even though we don't see it in the English translations of the Bible, for obvious reasons, in the original language, in the Hebrew, this wisdom literature, this section was written in what's called an acrostic. So every line was the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And why would they do that? Just to be fancy? Did they do it just to be impressive? No, absolutely. This was absolutely not. This was so important to them that they really wanted the generations to come to be able to embody the wisdom they had collected. So the wisdom in today's passage, it's pretty straightforward. It's kind of a list of things not to do, and then there's some things that we should do. So let's go through it beginning with the things that we're not to do. Starting in verse 1 and verse 2, it says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like the plants, they will die away. And then in verse 7, a couple of verses later, at the end of verse 7, it says, Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out wicked schemes. How many of you have seen this in life? How many of you have seen people who are evil, people who do wrong, and they just seem like they get away with it? Or even worse, sometimes it even seems as if they get ahead. 
or they're rewarded because of the evil and because of the things that they do. How in the world is that fair? Hundreds of years after David wrote this, after they collected this wisdom, God puts on human flesh and he walks the earth as Jesus. And Jesus basically acknowledges this is just what happens. Jesus says, I will pour blessing on the just and the unjust. Maybe it's never been about what we do or how good we think we are. Apparently, Jesus is not a respecter of persons. Jesus has a strong care and compassion and love for all people, those who do right and those who do not do right. And thank the Lord this is the case, right? Because we don't do a prayer of confession every single week because we always fit in the category of people who do things right. And then God goes even further and he tells us all that we're supposed to love others, those who do good to us and those who don't do good to us. Why? Because that shows the world what God is like. So don't fear when the evil succeeds around you. Don't fear when evil gets ahead. It's just part of life. It's going to happen. But sometimes it just doesn't seem fair. Frederick Buchner, um, someone I didn't know that much about, but I have seen a bunch of his quotes, guaranteed somebody in this congregation has wrote a PhD on this guy or something like that, so I'll hear about it later. But anyways, I looked him up. He's a writer, he's a novelist, he's a poet, he's an autobiographer, he's an essayist, a preacher, a theologian, an ordained Presbyterian pastor, decent resume. He's famous, and he said this, speaking from God's point of view. He said, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. That's the wisdom worth remembering. That's the wisdom that all these generations past wanted to hand on to the younger generations. Don't be afraid when evil wins. Don't be afraid when evil schemes get carried out and people get ahead. Max Lucado points out that the Gospels, they list 125 different things that Jesus instructed not just us but other people to do. 125 instructions by Jesus. 21 of those urge us not to be afraid. Don't fear. Have courage. Take heart. Be of good cheer. That's 21 out of the 125 instructions that Jesus gives to people. The second most important command, at least in quantity, to love God and love others. How many of you would say, that's pretty important for the message of Jesus? Very important. That one is only eight times. Max Lucado says, if quantity is any indication, Jesus, just like the Hebrew ancients, Jesus takes our fears seriously. The one statement he made more than any others was this, don't be afraid. Doesn't matter what's going on around you. Why don't we fear? When we live in a world that is both beautiful and a world that is both terrible at the same time, and sometimes those things seem to be interchanged all the time, why don't we fear when both terrible and beautiful things can shockingly somehow bring blessing and reward? Because someday, somehow, we hold on to this faith that as our passage says, the evil, the wrong, 
the unjust of others and the unjust and the wrong and the things that we do will someday pass away. And that is good news. Some more wisdom in the category of what not to do. Verses 8 through 10, it says, Refrain from anger, turn away from wrath, do not fret, it leads only to evil. Last week in the scripture reflection in the guided prayer, I told a story of two people that I look up to a ton from Fuller Theological Seminary. Todd Bolsinger, he's been here a couple times to preach, and this other guy, Mike McNichols. And both of them posted the same video on the same morning, which obviously grabbed my attention, so I decided to watch this video. It's of the late night show with Stephen Colbert. It's a show that I like. It's a show that I think is funny. I don't watch it consistently because it's not SportsCenter, and that's the only show I watch consistently, but I like the show. And for the purpose of this example, it's not really important if you like Stephen Colbert. That's not the point. And even if you don't like Stephen Colbert, by the way, we still have exponentially more in common than we have differences, and it's good to be in community with you. Anyways, on the Stephen Colbert show, Stephen is the one who's typically, and for good reason, giving the, one, giving the interview, right? It's his show. People want to know about his guests. He's usually asking the questions. But in this clip, the, kind of the, the script is flipped. And this musician, this podcaster, Dua Lipa, she's asking Stephen Colbert some questions. And in Dua Lipa, she asked Stephen Colbert, she said, what is the connection between your comedy and your faith? Because Stephen Colbert often talks about his faith as a Christian and Catholic, his role as a Sunday school teacher. I cannot imagine having Stephen Colbert as a Sunday school teacher, but <laughs> hey. And the reason this clip was posted by these, by these leaders from Fuller Seminary was because Stephen Colbert's answer was insightful. It agrees with the wisdom of the Psalms. It comes across as really good news. And his response, Stephen Colbert, he begins to quote, like perfectly quote, this, uh, this poet, Robert Hayden, and he was a poet laureate of the United States in the 1970s, and he quotes him word for word, like perfectly, like he memorized this, but I'll kind of paraphrase what he's saying so that we can see how this lines up. So he quotes Robert Hayden, who said, and he says this as a setup to his answer of how his faith and how his comedy line up. He says, Robert Hayden said, we must not be frightened we must never become so angry that we conclude that the evil that is done to us, the evil that we see all around the world, that it is best met by us bringing more evil and more wrath into the world. That just simply perpetuates the problem. Hayden says, we must actually do the exact opposite. As people of faith, when we experience evil, faith tells us that evil Faith tells us that death can never, ever defeat us. Hayden says then, when we are met with evil, we must keep struggling to maintain our humanity. When we're met with evil, we must keep struggling to maintain love and respect and grace and finding the image of God and understanding each other, even when the world gives us the pressure to do the exact opposite. So Stephen Colbert, he, he quotes this guy as, as kind of his setup. But then he answers Dua Lipa's question about the connection between his faith, which he kind of just explained, and his comedy. And he says this, unprompted, by the way. This is a question just asked him. Talk about being ready with an answer. 
He says, if there's any connection between my faith and my comedy, it is this. It is realizing that no matter what happens in life, whatever evil comes, that we are never defeated. We must see all that is happening in life, including the things that we see that are just horrible on the news every single day. We must see those in the realm of all of eternity. And comedy helps us in times of despair, in times of evil, to find ways to love and to laugh with each other in the midst of chaos. Friends, that's really good news on the late night shows. That's the gospel, at least according to Stephen Colbert on that night. But that is also the wisdom of the Psalms. Refrain from anger. Don't go there. Turn away from wrath. Don't perpetuate it because it only leads to evil. Why? Because in the end, all of that is going to be destroyed. So the wisdom says, don't fear. When evil seems to be rewarded, that's going to happen. Don't fret. Refrain from anger. Turn from wrath. And uh, don't fear again because it only leads to evil. But here are the things that the ancients wanted us to actually do. Beginning in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he's going to do this. He's going to make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So here's the, here's the wisdom that's trying to be communicated. Here's what they wanted us to remember. Don't fear evil. Don't get caught up in the anger. Don't get caught up in the wrath. It's going to perpetuate the problem. Instead, do this. Trust in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. Commit to the Lord and be still before the Lord. Submit. Commit. Give allegiance to God. There's a Greek word for this. It's the Greek word pistase. It actually means faith. But what it actually means is to turn and to commit and give your allegiance to something. The wisdom literature says, don't commit to your passions and your instincts Commit to the way of God. Trust, commit, give your allegiance to God. He has got this under control. That's what Stephen Colbert is saying. When you see evil, think of it in light of eternity. In eternity, there's God, and God knows what's going on. We can trust him. Don't trust, don't commit, don't give your allegiance to your passions or your instincts. That might lead to revenge, which just perpetuates the problem. Or as Stephen Colbert so eloquently said, no matter what happens, trust God because God will never be defeated. And no matter what's going on, we don't have to fear. We don't have to anger. We don't have to bring out wrath or perpetuate evil. No matter what is happening, we fight not to get caught up in it. No matter what evil is done to us or around us or that we see on TV, we fight to look at it in light of all of eternity, and God has this. Unlike the rest of the world, who does not have a faith like ours, we find a way, even when evil is presented, to love and respect and give grace and compassion, even to laugh and to love with one another. doesn't matter what's going on. And then the psalmist gives a promise. I'm sorry, the psalmist gives a probability, not a promise. He says, if you trust God, 
He will give you the desires of your heart. Asterisk, assuming your desires are aligned with his will. And he will make your righteousness shine like the noonday dawn. And so why does this matter? And it comes to verse 10 and 11. It says, a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. And that's the wickedness in us too. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked will be no more. You're going to look for them. You're going to look for wickedness, but it's going to be gone. This reminds us of Revelation, right? Where John talks about the hopeful day to come. When tears will be wiped away, where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. That all the old things will be wiped away. Evil will be done away, will be done away with someday. But the meek will inherit the land. The meek, the quiet, the submissive, the gentle, the people who do not freak out and give in to their passions and instincts, the people who aren't going to give of themselves over to anger and to wrath. The meek will inherit the land. They're the ones who are going to enjoy peace and prosperity. Meek does not mean weak. Paul talks about the meekness and the gentleness of Jesus, but Jesus was not weak. Jesus was not weak. Jesus didn't shy away to call religious people hypocrites. Jesus wasn't afraid to publicly protest against oppressive political or religious systems. Jesus followed through with what he said he was going to do, which is pour his life and his body and his blood out for the sacrifice of others. He followed through on all of that. Jesus was not weak, but he was still meek. Moses was meek, but he wasn't weak. Moses, it says in Numbers, it says, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. But he also wasn't afraid to take on the most uh, powerful political empire the world knew at the time. So here's the difference between being meek and weak. The example is take an ox in the wild, It's a strong animal, right? A lot of strength. But it's wild. It does whatever it wants when it wants to do it. It's given over to its passions. It's given over to its instincts. It's loyal to one person, itself. But a trained ox, a domesticated ox, it's still strong, right? It's incredibly strong but it doesn't do whatever it wants. It's loyal to the owner. It's loyal to the master. It's not loyal to its own instincts. It's not loyal to its own passions. It's not loyal to the own evil in its life. That could be used to plow a field, to feed hundreds of people. That strength could be used to haul something, to maybe house people who don't have housing. Who knows? It's serving a higher purpose than just itself. That's the difference between being weak and being meek. We are not weak. We are strong. But do we use that for our own instincts, our own passions, or do we use it for something bigger than ours? Jesus was strong, yes, but Jesus didn't use his strength to serve himself. Moses was strong, absolutely, but he didn't use his strength to serve himself. He liberated a whole group of people. Friends, we need to remember right now that you and I, we are all strong. 
We all have influence. We all have relationships. We all have choices every day. Jesus, God, did not make a mistake on any one of us. The question is, are we meek? Is our strength focused on something bigger than ourselves? Is our strength focused on what God wants for us? Or do we use our strength to focus on our instincts and our passions and we just perpetuate the cycles of evil? The wisdom is this. In our crazy world, and can we all agree it's kind of crazy right now, don't fear Don't contribute to the craziness out there because you just serve your own passions and your own instincts. We've seen that happen before. In the crazy world, do this. Trust God. Commit to God. Give him your allegiance. Delight in God. Look at the evil in light of all eternity. God has this under control. He's not going to be defeated. Don't get caught up in it. See all that is happening around you and find ways to love and to laugh, and to show respect for one another, even in the midst of it. So remember to be meek, because every single one of us is strong. And use that strength for a higher purpose than just ourselves. May it be so.